Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text this morning is from the epistle reading from Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's not an anomaly. Actually, he's rather a common feature, almost a fixture. He shows up in virtually every group, every setting. He's none other than the problem guy. You may know him as the odd guy, the dude with the quirk, the guy with the speech pattern, the sense of humor, or the body build that seems to push him into the margins. Or you may recognize him as the one member of the group who is better at battling against the things that the group cherishes and practices than affirming and supporting them. He's the guy who doesn't seem to be with the program. The guy who never jumps into the discussion. Or the one who always criticizes or scoffs in every discussion. He may be the one who asks the wrong question at the wrong time. And seems cursed with a case of chronic, incurable social awkwardness. Or... He may be the guy who one day shocks everyone with a sudden confession in the form of an announcement. I'm not sure what I believe anymore, but I know I don't believe any of this. In whatever form he appears, he is the problem guy. Now, the problem with the problem guy is not his offensive idiosyncrasies. The problem with the problem guy is not his cynical attitude, his pension to criticism or ridicule. The problem with the problem guy is not his lack of spiritual depth or maturity. All of these things, in fact, may be true about the problem guy, but they are not the problem with the problem guy. The problem with the problem guy is this. He is your problem. But this is a truth only rarely recognized and even more rarely embraced. We live in a culture that is ferociously and individualistic and determinately isolationistic. You and I have reached a point in this pandemic where most of us have moved on and things are as normal as they possibly can be. We have gone back to work in person. We are shopping in person in stores once again. We have gone out to eat in restaurants and we have even gone back to the movie theaters, sporting events and concerts. 
But when it comes to going back to church in person, some of us are still watching from home. Even though we participate in many of these activities that I've mentioned. Participating in this culture, we learn to live for ourselves, serve ourselves, look out for ourselves, and answer only to ourselves. We learn to breathe a sigh of relief when calamity falls upon another and look with suspicion and envy when blessings rain on another. We learn to fend for ourselves. Such individualism in all of its consequences defies our Western culture. And of course, from this zealous egocentrism, the church is hardly immune. The emphatic phrase from our text today, day after day, as long as it is today, seems to resonate somehow with that chorus. Remember God's spell? I suppose I'm kind of dating myself there. Day by day, day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, Love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. But God's spell and our text couldn't be any further apart from one another. In this course, it's all about the I who apparently yearns for and would be content with a personal and private relationship with his Lord. It's all about what the singer wants for himself. But for the author of the text, such sentiments make no sense. In the book of Hebrews, the emphasis is on the entire community. The imperatives here on the second person pronouns are all plural. And the admonitions make every member of the church responsible for every other member of the church, including... The problem guy. The author does not urge individuals to guard themselves against apostasy or betrayal. Rather, he warns the entire church to be sure that apostasy never happens. There should not be one single individual of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. Work to make sure that none of all of you is hardened. Everyone in the church is fully responsible for everyone else in the church. This is how the Bible teaches the church to act. No one lives for himself. No one operates in isolation. The guy on the margins is the guy struggling with his faith. The guy wrestling with God's reality is your concern. The problem guy is your problem. The threat is real enough, is it not? Sin and brokenness surround us and attack us. They wear us down and wear us out. Satanic tricks and temptations lie before us with a maze of tripwires and triggers and traps that seem always to be more able to deceive, snare, and pierce than we are able to recognize that they can be beat. 
Is it any wonder that the problem guy so often seems to be in trouble? After all, it's not just arteries that grow hard over time. Hearts also thicken and calcify until they are tough and unyielding. Such fossilized hearts may still beat, but they are dead. Dried up in the desert of unbelief. Those on the margins always seem susceptible to such attacks. Alone and isolated, they are vulnerable. Others, though, caught up in the illusion of self-sufficiency and superiority, are willfully blind and oblivious to the faith-killing danger that's all around them. With terrifying ease, then, the possibility of an evil, unbelieving heart becomes clearly recognizable. Whether he's a cynic or arrogant, the problem guy is a problem not just to himself, but a problem for us all. He is your problem. But the solution to the threat is not magical or mysterious. It's actually pretty obvious and unremarkable. The way to deal with the problem guy is with intentional, deliberate encouragement. Instead of a day-by-day personal yearning of your spiritual, our text urges you to a day-by-day focus of encouraging your brothers and sisters in the faith. Day-by-day-by-day, you need to offer words and actions of encouragement for every Christian around you. Every one of them is your responsibility. They are not just the responsibility of your pastors, elders, or leaders of the church. They are your responsibility too. Regardless of who it is, it is your job to offer words and actions of encouragement to everyone around you. We are all responsible for the Christian community, even for the problem guy who is teetering on the brink. This is how we are to love for and care for one another. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus illustrated his love for his disciples and for us when he journeyed to the cross, carrying your sins and my sins with him up on that cross. There he made the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, and yes, for the problem guy. And because of this act of love and mercy, Jesus wants us to show acts of love, mercy, and encouragement to one another. This is how we are to encourage one another, especially the problem guy. You owe it to him. You owe it to everyone you encounter in this Christian community. You owe your brother and sister in Christ your encouragement. Last Sunday, Trinity Lutheran Church in Lemoore, North Dakota had its closing worship service. The saints there at Trinity Lamore have had and obviously are having a difficult time with the closing of their church. 
It is our responsibility as members of the larger Christian community to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage them in their faith, to offer them hope and remind them of the promises and assurance that our Lord gives. That regardless of whatever happens, our Lord will never leave them or forsake them. I would strongly encourage you to pray for them and to reach out to them in this difficult time. Our brothers and sisters in Christ need your encouragement. And just to be clear, this word of encouragement is not a smiling affirmation of every thought, action, or statement of another Christian. It's not sugar-coated platitudes, barely disguised hollowed shells. No, encouragement means delivering the words and gestures that urge your fellow Christian to more fully know and to follow God's truth and God's plans. It's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does oh so well. He is the ultimate encourager. After all, He is the paraclete, the encourager. He is the one who speaks grace, declares Christ, gives forgiveness, and shapes us into God's ways. It's the paraclete that works through you. Your words of encouragement and exhortation are His own words. When you encourage, you do Holy Spirit work. You have got to do this work. The Christian community depends on it. The problem guide depends on it. You depend on it. The work of intentional and deliberate encouragement of fellow Christians is the single best defense against the minefield of temptation and the slow smothering death of a hardened heart. When you encourage, you fight evil and unbelief. When you encourage, you build up a community. Communities are stubborn things, after all. They're unyielding and demanding. They force burdens on you, but they also force blessings on you as well. It is in this community that encouragement becomes real. It is in the community that the problem guy is not just noticed and tolerated but encouraged, saved. And that is a very good thing, is it not? For the community certainly, but especially for you. After all, you and I both know who the real problem guy is, don't we? All praise to God who provides Christians to speak His encouragement even to the problem guy, even to the likes of me and you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.